Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear and I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast. I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each episode, I'm joined by other Black parents, and we discuss our journeys to push past our fears to raise our beautiful Black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in Hey, this is Trina with Parenting for Liberation. I'm here with an exciting episode about the upcoming election. I'm here with my friend George Turner Jr. He's a good friend from way back in the day. Um, He's Inglewood raised him. Um, He's a fellow Bruin, and he was actually my tutor at UCLA. Um, He was always spitting some truth to me about the game. (laughs) And he's a lawyer, a public defender, and he's a father. And that's really important identity that I want to make sure that we highlight. Welcome to the podcast, George. Hello. How you guys doing? Glad to be here. Always excited. I, I, I've noticed uh, there's a lot of work uh, being done around parenting for liberation, and it's kind of exciting to see. You know, I remember you back when you were just, you know, a, a, a very uh, confident freshman at UCLA. <laughs> and I was like, that confidence and that fire directed in the right direction, and we can we can change the world. It's our responsibility. They let a they let a handful of us here, and so we we got to take this back to our communities and and change the world. So, I am uh, George Turner, born and raised in Inglewood, California. Anybody who knows me knows that you know usually the second or th- third thing that comes out of my mouth that I'm a proud person from Inglewood, literally born at Centinella Hospital, have my plot at Inglewood Park Cemetery. Uh, when it was time to purchase the house, I was like, I'm, I, I cannot live any place and raise my family any place but the city of Inglewood. Went to Inglewood Unified uh, School District Schools my entire life. I am I'm Mr. Inglewood, if you will. <laughs> um, I am. Uh, so I went to, uh, I, upon graduating from, from Morningside High School, because I graduated from Morningside, uh, entered UCLA and was like, you know, uh, th- there were some, there there were some issues at UCLA that I always wanted to, that I wanted to address. That, ironically, some of those same issues are, are on the ballot that we'll maybe discuss a little later. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, issues about race and justice and inequality. Um, so uh, upon graduating from UCLA, uh, I entered UCLA Law School, uh, addressed sort of the same issues, and then after graduating, uh, I decided to become a public defender because I felt that that is where the fight was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is, you know, we, we are in a, an era of mass incarceration. Uh, there's this book that I'm sure we've all read uh, called The New Jim Crow uh, by Melissa Alexander. And she talks about how, you know, um, there are more black folks in prison now, in prisons and in, in, uh, jails now, uh, then there were slaves 10 years before slavery. And so I decided to become a public defender to sort of fight that issue right on the ground, to free as many of our people as I possibly could because, you know, we're in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even as I did that, I, I've always had a passion for education. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, the, the, uh, I'm, a, I'm a proud nerd. You know, I was You're always blurred. the kid. Who, a black nerd. A black nerd. <laughs> Proud black nerd, you know. Back before it was popular, you know, I felt like I, I'm, 
I might be about 10 years older than I should have been because I would have been way more popular <laughs> in this generation. <laughs> uh, so uh, very proud of that. Always was on top of my game as far as academics were concerned. Always, you know, wanted to um, uh, get to know the professors and get to know the material on a deep level and be able to use it. Uh, many of my friends that I found in college ended up being uh, folks who also went into uh, academia as a profession. And so that's part of the reason why um, I decided to put my uh, bid in for uh, El Camino Co uh, Community College. And, you know, El Camino is the place for folks who, like my mom and like many of my friends and family who graduate from high school and want to take advantage of the community college system. Mm -hmm. um, it was the very first college that I ever stepped foot on. Uh, it is a place where there were a whole host of resources, and there still, still are a whole host of resources, but, you know, over the last 10 or so years, there's been a, a stark drop-off of people from the Inglewood and Ladera Heights area, and I feel like I am just the person to change that trend, uh, get us going back to that community college and taking advantage of those resources and, you know, lead that community college into this, you know, into this post-pandemic um, era. I just want to be of service to uh, a city that has literally raised me. Yes. And uh, it, I, am a, I want to serve the city that has helped me so much. Yes. And shout out for your commitment to your city. And thank you for being a freedom fighter um, for so long. You know, when I was at UCLA um, as a freshman, you were my tutor um, that I was uh, able to select. And I just remember coming to the uh, UCLA AAP um, in Campbell Hall and mm -hmm. like just sitting at the table and like, I don't even know if we were talking about the content from the class or were we talking about like this issue and this issue, you know, you were always politicking. And so um, it was just so much fun and, and mentally stimulating. And so uh, I really see you as someone who is always, always keeping your ear to the streets, um, but also figuring out what are the issues that we need to be fighting against to make sure our people are free. Um, I didn't see you as someone, you know, some people go away, go away and then like don't come back. And I see you as someone who didn't even leave. You stayed. So appreciate you for that. Most definitely. And so at Parents of Liberation, we see voting as an act of, of liberation. You know, it's one of many strategies, even listening to your life's trajectory from law to public defender to now on the ballot, that there are many pathways towards liberation. And I see voting as one of those strategies um, of liberation. And so you mentioned that there are many issues on the ballot um, beyond who the presidential candidates are, right? Beyond the folks, okay. that there are many issues on the ballot. Um, so I want you to raise, are there any like measures or propositions or issues that we need to be paying attention to as black folks that are about getting us more freedom, more liberation, and more access? A absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, um, uh, one thing that I did get the opportunity to talk a little bit about is that I am a father of three black boys. Yes. And I am, uh, I feel like uh, it is my responsibility not only to help to raise them and protect them, but to help to try to strive to introduce them to a world that is going to not hate them or destroy them and mm. protect them as much as I possibly can in that way. So, you know, I have a seven-year-old black son. I have a 
three-year-old black boy, and I have a two-year-old black son named after some of my favorite revolutionaries of of, of the past. My oldest is named Nat Turner. Uh, my middle son is named Malcolm Xavier, and my youngest is Frederick George. Uh, and then I wanted to be Fred Hampton. My wife wanted to be Frederick Douglass, so we just split the middle and called him George after me. Um, so uh, I am I am dedicated to trying to put this put put this world together in a way that is going to be be uh, advantageous and helpful to them. And as someone who's literally fighting on the front lines every day, and the way that I try to explain what I do as a public defender is is that it's kind of like a slave ship, frankly. You know, I see black men uh, brought in in chains every day in a big wooden box, and someone decides whether or not they're going to be free or not, and it's my job to do what I can to try to get them out. Mm. Um, and it is interesting because as good as I might be and as strategic as I might be in getting them out and getting them off of that ship, the, the game is rigged. The game is frankly rigged because there's so many different systems and obstacles that they had to overcome before they get to me that the little narrow issue that I'm addressing or that I'm allowed to address in a courtroom is just frankly unfair. So, you know, on the ballot, you know, it's funny. I hear people say, well, you know, who the president of the who cares? Well, I don't want to vote because who cares who the president of the United States is because that doesn't have any impact on me. And I'm like, well, you know, that that that's just like saying I can't play basketball because I can't dunk. And there's ten thousand other things you could do on a basketball court that, that that has nothing to do with dunking. Most of us may never dunk, but you can still dribble, you can still shoot, you can still pass. And on the ballot. There are so many things on a local level that have a huge impact on our everyday our everyday uh, experiences. So one of the things that's on the ballot is Proposition 25, which mm-hmm. is about cash bail, right? So cash bail is this – when you are accused of a crime, judge makes a de- – you go through what's called an arraignment. And at the arraignment, the judge makes a determination about whether or not you are – going to be in custody or out of custody while you're fighting the case all right most times judges because particularly if if they're if they're accused of something quote-unquote serious um, most times judges are not going to grant you or which is the promise to appear on your own recognizance so they're going to set so if you're not giving or then the judge has the ability to grant you a cash bail now the problem with that cash bail is that if someone I mean frankly it's a it's a it's a situation in which if you have money you can get out. Right. And that's just not fair, right? It's that whole argument uh that both Brian Stevenson and Melissa Alexander talk about. They say that a that our current system treats guilty people with money better than innocent poor people. Mm-hmm. And that's quite literally what happens at the arraignment stage, at the stage when you first come into court. Judges assume that what you're charged with is true, and then they make the determination about whether or not you get out or if you're going to get out on how much bail you put up, how much money you put up. And there's this whole economic system uh, uh, around the bail bondsman system that allows folks to make a determination about uh, how much money you can put up. So there's this prop that is supposed to uh, end cash bail, right? 
Um, and there has been a lot of movement around trying to end the cash bail system in California. Now, um, the thing that concerns me about this particular prop is that, you know, they will, it, it would end the cash bail system, but what would they replace it with, right? So there's this algorithm uh, that is going to be, uh, it's, a, it's sort of a, a computer program that's going to be, uh, 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 it's going to be uh, controlled by the uh, by the um, probation department that will make the determination about whether or not someone ought to be in or out. That also concerns me, right? So mm -hmm. um, there are cases in which, so there are cases in which some of my clients may be able to get up enough bail money, but won't be able to get out because the algorithm says that they're too dangerous. Um, and, you know, I'm very explicit. You know, my goal is to get as many people out as possible. So um, I, 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 with regard to Prop 25, I would encourage everyone to really, really read through what it says. Because it, it is going to end the cash bail system if passed. But what it will replace it with is, uh, is, is troubling. Um, another thing that is on the ballot is Prop 20. Now, Prop 20 is uh, a proposition. So a few years back, um, there have been a few propositions that basically changed the law around uh, certain crimes. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, if a 19-year-old girl goes into a store and steals uh, a T-shirt, you and I might call that shoplifting, right? Mm -hmm. But for years, that could be charged as a burglary, which is entering into a commercial property with the intent to steal. Um, that could be charged as a felony, and you could go to state prison over a T-shirt, over a 19-year-old girl getting a T-shirt. And I'm not talking about this in theory. I actually had that case. Mm. Um, so there were these laws that changed that, that allowed uh, the, that particular particular charge to be a shoplifting charge as a misdemeanor. It required it to be a shoplifting charge as a misdemeanor. Well, Prop 20 is one of those uh, uh, laws that is going to try to change it back, right? So it's trying to make what they call serial theft uh, a felony as opposed to a misdemeanor or organized retail theft. Basically, it's one of these laws that is going to increase the number of folks who are who are incarcerated um so i, I mean you can you, you I, I, the way i the way i always have people think about uh, incarceration in the state of california specifically is we just can't afford it anymore uh, we are literally at the point where we have to make a decision about whether or not we want to invest in the cal states ucs and community colleges or whether or not we want to build more prisons Right. That's literally where our budget is. We have so many people in prison. And so any sort of law like Prop 20 that is going to increase the number or potentially, even potentially increase the number of people who are in custody, um, you know, I, 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 I rail against that. Um, there is another ballot initiative. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Prop 17. Mm -hmm. Prop 17 will allow people who um, are on parole and doing well to vote. 
So for years we have these we have this this uh, belief. There was this long term belief that if you ever committed a felony, you lose your right to vote. And in certain states, that is true. In California, if you successfully discharge parole, you could you could vote, which is why Snoop Dogg, for instance, this is the first time that uh, he's uh, ever voted. It's because he discovered, okay, well, I successfully, I thought that because I was a felon, I couldn't vote. But he figured out now that he successfully discharged, so he can. But this prop will allow folks who are on parole and doing well on parole mm-hmm. to vote. Yes. I think that... I think that any law that allows more of us to vote, more folks to vote, is good. Um, there's another prop, Prop 18, uh, that allows 17-year-olds who would be 18, they, it would allow 17-year-olds to vote in the primary so long as they'll be 18 at the time of the election. Mm. So, I mean, that is that is revolutionary in and of itself because it, it's really pushing the edge and, and trying to encourage folks widen the net of folks to vote. So with regard to um the the, the criminal justice sort of sort of uh, uh propositions. Oh, and there's one more and this is actually the biggest one. And this is actually a county measure. It's called Measure J. Mm-hmm. Measure J Measure J would fundamentally change, in my opinion, the relationship between law enforcement and our communities, you know, and this is what I, I tell people uh, all the time. It is, it is a shame that at 40 years old, father of three, graduated valedictorian at high school, graduated summa cum laude in, uh, in uh, undergraduate, have a law degree as a public defender, a father, gray in my beard. It is sad that even now, and I drive a, a, I drive a Prius, it is sad that even now, when a police officer gets behind me, I am afraid, and I've done nothing wrong. Right, right. It's sad that that still happens now, and this is in my neighborhood. And the reason why is because our relationship with law enforcement is damaged. Right, it's it, the power relationship is damaged, and part of it has to do with the fact that we ask law enforcement to do too much, frankly. You know, law enforcement primarily should be there to investigate crime, right? That's what they should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 when you make a, when you run a red light, that's not a crime. <laughs> when you don't put your blinker on, that's not a crime. When you have a a relative who's going through a, a psychological breakdown, that's not a crime. Right? Yes, we call law enforcement for those sort of issues, right? It's funny because my wife is a social worker, and she says, you know, I have clients who have these mental mental health breakdowns, and I show up with a clipboard as opposed to a gun, right? right. And I can, have a, I can have an impact, a positive impact on this person. So what Measure J would do is it would put now what, what sucks about what my wife does is that there's not enough money in what she does, that there's not enough people. Um, not enough social workers, not enough programs for people who have mental health issues, not enough beds for folks who have these sort of mental health issues. You know, like in California, we do not have, I mean, in Los Angeles, we do not have, we have one lockdown facility for folks who have severe mental health issues in the entire county. One. 
In fact, if you look at the L.A. County Jail's website, they actually say that Twin Towers, which is one of the jails in downtown, is the largest mental health facility in the country. A jail should not be a jail and a mental health facility are should be two completely different things. I'm like they're not the same. But they're but in 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 Los Angeles, they're mm-hmm. literally that's where we put mentally severely mentally ill people is in jail. So what Measure J is going to do is it's going to take 10 percent of the the uh, county budget and is going to put toward addressing those sort of issues, folks with mental health issues. Folks for non-emergency calls, folks who um, for tra- folks who who are going to be handling traffic, folks who need affordable housing because of their mental health issues. It's going to be taking ten percent out of the the county budget and putting it toward those issues, and taking it away from law enforcement. Yeah. Now, folks are going to say, folks are going to say, oh my goodness, you know, why would you take money away from, you know, the sheriff or the police department? But my question is, you know. Do do our law enforcement need tanks? Do they need bazookas? Are they the military or are they law enforcement? <laughs> you know, because at this point, you know, the sort of money and the sort of budget that they have is is ridiculous. It's 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 troubling. I mean, you know, it's 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 to the point now where even the folks who work there are going to say we don't need. I mean, I don't know why I have. Why I have eight guns in my car? <laughs> Why I have a bulletproof car? Like I, when when the only thing that I do is pull most of what I do is pull people over for tickets, right? Right. <laughs> you know, I I don't think I need that. So they just need a clipboard that, like your wife. That's huh. yeah. They need a clipboard, and they and how about this? They need training. What I tell folks all the time is is that my wife has a master's degree and three years worth of training before she could get uh, her license. In order to deal with this issue, police officers are literally given 40 hours of training uh, up front and a gun and a badge and told, now go handle this. <laughs> like, that's not, that. that is, it's insane to think that they're going to do anything but what they're trained, trained to, do. to do. Right. And what they're trained to do isn't to talk to the mentally ill person. They're, that's not what they're doing during that 40 hours of training. <laughs> no. Right? No. That's not what you know, um, so. But see, this issue of training, George, is what the excuse is for why they need more budget. Like they're like, you can't cut our budget and ask us to do additional training for mental health and things of that nature. So what do we say to them yeah. who say they need the additional budget to be able to do the training? No, what I, what I say is this. There are people who have degrees already, who have already been trained, who don't need to be retrained. Right. Mm-hmm. These are folks who, have been pre- who are prepared and have been prepared and simply need the resources to go out and help folks. I mean, frankly, the problem is this. I don't understand why you why police officers are handling so many different things. They need to handle a smaller group of things. They need to be handling only violent crimes. Right. They mm-hmm. need to be handling things that require uh, somebody with a badge and a gun to be present. There are a whole whole professions of people who handle everything else. But unfortunately, anytime there is an emergency, 
the only two people that we can call in Los Angeles and really throughout the country are the fire department and the police department. And it would be great if we could call someone who doesn't have to arrive with a gun and who isn't trained to arrive with a gun, right? Uh, uh, And I think that, you know, I I think that 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 would probably lead to just a a, literally a safer environment. So, you know, when you call it a police, it's for a crime as opposed to, well, you know, this is a nonviolent thing. It's a it's a it's a verbal dispute. And then, you know, particularly with black folks, we got to make the decision like, well, are we going to call the police? Right. Because if we call them, that's not our choice. You know, they, they could kill us on accident, you know, and then we don't call anybody. <laughs> right. 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 So, no, it's real. You know, so so we need to we, measure J is going to change that. It's going to give us that third option. Right. It's going to give us that third option. And, and I think that's. That's so important. That is very, I think Measure J might be amongst the most important criminal justice issues on the ballot. Mm. Uh, and if it works in Los Angeles, which I believe that it will, um, it will be, it will be one, it, it will be recreated all over the country. So, and because Los Angeles has always been kind of extreme with regard to incarcerating people, you know, if we can get this right here, uh, I think that we can actually uh, bring an end to this era of mass incarceration, which would be which would be awesome. Right. Yes. Thank you so much for <laughs> highlighting some of the propositions on the California um, ballot around the justice system, criminal justice reform, also liberating the vote so young people can vote, and also for folks who are currently on parole can vote, um, and also the measure around ending cash bail. So really. This is an example of the types of things that are on your local ballot. So, folks, irregardless of the presidential candidates in those elections, please be paying attention to the local measures on your ballot because those will definitely impact you on a day to day, as George shared. Most definitely. And can I can I bring can I put in one more? That's not criminal justice. Okay, one more ballot initiative. One more ballot initiative, and this is one that. Both Trina and I lived firsthand. When we showed up at UCLA, when I was a freshman at UCLA, I was one of 50 black men not on athletic scholarship. Mm -hmm. 50 at UCLA. And that was a direct result of Proposition 209, which ended affirmative action at uh, public colleges and will ended affirmative action for all state uh, uh, organizations, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It, it eliminated the presence of black folks at UCLA. For real. We, we, we were distant. You know, when I say non-existent, I mean, I, there were times that I went into African-American studies classes, and the, uh, I, me and the professor were the only black people in the class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you ain't know? lying. You telling the truth. <laughs> you, know? you know, and, and we, had to, you, we had to figure out creative ways to survive that situation, right? So I, I found myself sitting at the front of the class, not because I wanted to be the ultra nerd, but because I didn't want to look at the whole class and realize that I was the only black person in the class of 300 people, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, the end of affirmative, the end of Proposition 209 is on the ballot. And that's all right? Proposition so, 16, Proposition 16. 16. Uh, uh, a yes vote on Proposition 16 would end Prop 209. Prop 209 was an abysmal failure unless the goal was to eliminate black and brown people at UC's at UC schools. I mean, it literally, it, it, it ravaged us. 
I remember when I was in law school, I had a professor tell me it is very awkward teaching Brown versus Board of Education in a class. And, and its success, the success of Brown versus Board of Education in a classroom where there's only two black people in it. Right, right. You're <laughs> it, like, it, it was successful. We are more integrated. <laughs> more students of color are here. <laughs> Not. You know, and then you stuck in this, no, no, you know, it's two, two black folks. So, you know, uh, Prop, two, uh, uh, Prop 209, it, it had a huge impact on our experience yeah. at UCLA. And Prop 16 will hopefully not have my children have an experience that is different at a pub, at public schools than I had. Yeah. And I remember being on campus and doing some of this, the sit-ins and, like, going to the yeah. admissions office and demanding that they yeah. accept more students of color, more black students specifically. Um, because, yeah. like you said, there were... When I graduated, I feel like there were, like, 200 black students in my... Like, at the black student... Black African grad. Um yeah. So yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a need to have more representation on campus, especially yeah. when the community looks a particular way. But then, especially like when you think about all the institutions in California, when the community looks a particular way, but the colleges don't represent that. Um, Correct. Yeah. Correct. You know, it's funny you get people who come to UCLA from out of the state. They're like, "Well, there must not be any black people in Los Angeles." And you like, actually, I come from a whole black neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up around black people. It's just that they don't, they're not admitted and don't come to UCLA because of Prop 209. It was the craziest experience. It was the craziest experience. Yeah, it was definitely culture <laughs> shock going to UCLA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for just um, informing us about those propositions. Uh, I'm curious for you, how do you engage your, your children? You know, you said you have three black sons. I know they're younger, but how do you engage your children in talking about voting and the, the, the importance of voting or election um, for the for the parents out there who want to get their kids involved? Do you have any strategies for them? Um, so actually, I have a, a friend. I'm going to have to I, – I don't have her book offhand, but she went to UCLA with us, and she actually wrote a book on institutional racism for children. Hmm. Um, and I will uh, – let me – I, I have to look. But I would definitely connect you guys. Um, so the way I I engage my children is I I try to you know I'm 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 sort of a card space up keep it real sort of a person. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, my 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 wife tends to want to allow uh, the children to be children for as long as they possibly can and enjoy their youth. Mm -hmm. I'm like, listen, you know, you're gonna wake up one day, your voice is gonna be going to be deep. Your voice is going to, I mean, your skin is going to be dark, and I don't want to lose you because you think that everyone looks at you in the same loving way that your your mother and I do. So I, I sort of keep it real with them and let them know that, you know, there, there are forces that don't mean them very, very well, that mm. don't mean them very good, and that, you know, it is their responsibility. Uh, their responsibilities are twofold. You know, first and foremost, is their responsibility to lead. You know, um, my my mom always taught me you have to do well, not just for you, but for, you know, the folks around you. You just have a responsibility to lead because of the things that you're blessed with, because you're blessed with two parents, because you're blessed with the opportunity to engage in these sort of a, these sort of questions. Um, and so, 
I, I you know, if they have have direct questions for me, and sometimes even when they don't have direct questions for me, I'm like, you know, yes, I named you after Nat Turner. Who who is Nat Turner? Nat Turner was someone who was a revolutionary. <laughs> you know, there was a time that we were slaves in this in this country, and the person who I named you after. Uh, and that he was willing to do anything necessary to make sure that we weren't slaves, mm-hmm. you know. Um, same thing with my my middle son, who's he's, he's only three years old, but we keep we keep uh, Malcolm X speeches going in the car regularly because Malcolm X is one of my favorite speakers, and because ironically, I can't have them watching too much TV now because the current president is not safe to have your kids. Uh, uh, listen to him talk because he might cuss, which is crazy. I, it's crazy that the reason why I don't let my kids watch the president is because he cusses too much. <laughs> um, so, well, that ain't uh, the only thing he's doing. He's also it's true. being I mean, explicit he's, with he's his like, racism and white supremacy, which is also hard. Exactly. He is, but he's very, he's vulgar. Like he's, he's a vulgar, like you can't have your children talk like the president does. That's, I never thought that I would live to see the day where I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, the president talks this way, but you can't talk this way. Like, that is insane to me. In addition to him being, you know, a good old fat. When people, people back in the day used to say, oh, yeah, you know, racism is, is covert now, and it, it's institutional. And, you know, and now I'm like, it's not very covert anymore, is it? He, no. He's pretty hard to say, this is racism. <laughs> he, he, he ain't playing that game no more. He, he very, listen, we don't, we don't like Mexicans. You know what I'm saying? We don't like Muslims. Like, whoa, the president of the United States of America don't like Muslims? I mean, that's, I, it's funny. I was just having this conversation with another of my friends. Uh, we were talking about how I never thought that I would live to see the day that George W. Bush wouldn't be the worst president in my lifetime. <laughs> I, remember, I mean, George W. Bush, in addition to Katrina, started two wars with the wrong country. And 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 ironically, ironically, I would I would have him back in a minute over this guy. This this guy right here is he's I'm not certain that the current president is working for our country. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not sure. But anyway, having said all of that, I am I am a cards face up person with my children. I don't I don't hold back things, and 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 it's fortunate that you know I'm I have a partner who can counterbalance that with you know sort of love. Mm-hmm. And uh, security, and just this the 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 belief that you know we're we're going to take care. The world is not uh, exclusively a scary place; it's a loving place, and we're going to take care of you in this house. But I'm more like, yeah, you know, watch the behind. And and in addition to being a leader, you know, your responsibility is to make sure you hold yourself with a certain amount of pride. You know, mm-hmm. um, it is it is important for. You know, our, our, our kids, uh, and I know this because uh, I, I, I did it myself, they don't just listen to what we say explicitly, and they don't just watch what we do explicitly, but they think through the ramifications of what we say, right? Because, the, you know, 
our notions, our ideas become their way of life, mm. right? So I'm very careful to, you know, not tell them to bow their heads and tuck their eye, like, not, like no, 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 because that that's going to lead to sort of a a, a long term feeling of lack of confidence, and that lack of confidence is 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 going to have a long term negative effect. I'm like, no, be you unapologetically. Mm. If you're going to fail, fail, fail being you. Right. You're right. As opposed to failing being, because when you fail being someone else, you've completely lost. You didn't lost twice. You didn't, as a matter of fact, you didn't lost yourself, which is the biggest loss. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. please, you, please, even if that means you got to tell daddy he was wrong. <laughs> right. Even if daddy is, even if daddy yelled at you for the wrong thing or daddy was wrong, please be you. I, we are raising you all to be bold powerful, strong, uh, confident black men, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that, those, those are the two things. You have to lead and you have to be bold. You have to be you. Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, George. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, thank you for your time and for telling us about the different measures and ballot measures. And also um, thank you for raising liberated black boys who have these very strong, powerful names, because even in their names, they become their ancestors' dreams made manifest. So thank you so much for raising them in that way and for sharing your story with me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcasts. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review.